the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Tuesday, November 17th, 2020. Delight to have Hugh Holman and Lewis Holman in studio with me as I do every third hour on Tuesdays. Funny thing is, you know, some maybe weeks, if not months ago, uh, one of you, maybe both of you said, do you think there's a need for continued COVID analysis? (laughs) And boy, is there. Boy, is there. Hugh Holman is the former mayor of Tempe and attorney. And Lewis Hallman is the managing director of Inside Analytics. InsideAnalyticsLLC.com is the website. Inside is spelled I-N-C-I-T-E. You're looking at me like I said something wrong. No, you just break me up. It's fabulous to be here and still be here, occasionally talking COVID, which we'll do again today, politics we'll with the it. goal to pivot it to yeah. some politics. Yeah. So I guess I want to start with the Arizona Republic this morning. They had a headline on the front page, study finds more than one in 10 Maricopa County residents has been infected with COVID-19. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Now, I read it as good news. A lot of people didn't. But I also had to do my own math, which may or may not be wrong. Your dad and your granddad was the great math teacher, so you guys can correct me. But um, the math I did... It's funny. The story didn't tell us, as is so often with the Arizona Republic, doesn't tell you the one thing you want to know. It never tells you the one thing you want to know. In this case, they tell you the stuff to f- scare you, yeah. but not the stuff that would have caused you to go, oh, really? Yeah. Okay, right. We've talked about this before, right? The goal is always to report whichever statistic in whichever way right. is the scariest right. rather than the most informative. They're not actually looking to give you the real conclusion so you can make an informed right. opinion. Right. They just want you terrified and subservient. Totally because, true. of course, one... Should never expect the Spanish Inquisition. I'd never wait. Fear and surprise. Fear, surprise, weapons. and ruthless efficiency is our, our Arizona Republic. Yeah. Yes, fear, fear and surprise, and ruthless, ruthless, ruthless efficiency, and a fanatical devotion to the Pope. Yes, in the, in this case, it's a fanatical devotion to. I'm a not new sure. Theology of fear. Yeah, that's what it is. So here we are, the Arizona Republic, a news story as you mentioned. And what did you calculate? You so I did it this way. The I, important statistic yes. that they didn't include. Right. The 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 infection fatality ratio. How deadly is this thing now that we know uh, a lot more people have had it than the Maricopa County Health uh, Department has been reporting? So when I looked at the Maricopa County Health um, Health Department's website, I saw that the fatality ratio was sitting at about 2.2 percent. That is to say, of the people they knew who had it, 2.2 would percent would die. With and the from new- the beginning, we've talked about that what they're really reporting, all of these stats, are a case fatality right. rate because they can only calculate. We know how many people die. That's pretty tough to not uh, count everybody you're tripping over in the in the morgue, but uh, not to be too cold about this. But we then also have some trouble, and we've talked really from the beginning of this pandemic, some trouble in analyzing how many people have SARS-CoV-2, that is the virus, Versus how many people show symptoms and get COVID-19. Right. So I calculated, by the way, with these numbers using Arizona Republic, if the study is correct, I got it from 2.2 then to be eight-tenths of a percent. Which Point is about eight. As, 
Yeah, point so, eight, eight tenths of a percent, right? What's really interesting? Sixty-three percent less than what we believed. Sixty-three percent less fatal than what we believed. But your number, well, if if we if, if right. we go if we go back to the H one N one two thousand nine numbers, yeah. and you see that flu was running on average about point one eight, then that means this is about four and a half times flu right. as or mortality rate. But Lou, well. With, before we dive into sort of how we looked at this study, I'd, I'd like to make the point that this is almost exactly what we have been begging for the whole right, time, at right, least in theory. Right, the serology Randomized test. sample trials using serology tests of a large segment of Maricopa County. Now, we've been asking for a larger sample size of about 3,000 people. Here, with this study, the sample size is only 260 people. However, there's another wrinkle. Those not two, very many people, but that's that, not okay. very many people. You can still do a random sample of 260 people, but... The issue is, is that I doubt very, very highly that these are a random sample. The issue is, is that those 260 people are from 160, uh, 169 different households, right? So there's much greater overlap than you would expect if you were just randomly picking right. so one they, of the 4 million randomly, residents out of a hat. Right. You're not just standing on camelback pulling people off the street. Well, but they randomly selected, it turns out, not people but households, right. which then screws up their study because? Well, because there's a very high correlation in antibody type within households. If I have had COVID, then my fiance is likely to have had COVID as well, which means that this isn't, in fact, an independent random sample. It's a it's pretty heavily intercorrelated with itself. And so, biased, so, yeah. It's not necessarily biased, right? We can believe that their their eleven percent positive test rate may, in fact, be, you know, a useful mean. The problem is, is that we have no idea what the standard error is, okay. what the what the confidence interval is, right? When people talk about election polling, for instance, we're always told that it's plus or minus two percent or something like that. Well, I did the math here. I assumed it was a binomial variable. Just little technical note, and I found that the if this were a truly random sample, that we would have a, a confidence interval of about plus or minus 5% here. So the real number isn't necessarily 11%. It could be anywhere from 6 to 16%. Uh -huh. The trouble is, again, because of that, that household counting issue, that means those confidence intervals are actually meaningless because it's not a random sample. So we have no idea what the variance is in this. But to turn that back into English, so let's take it as true. Let's take what the lovely ladies at the Arizona Republic reported, not understanding what they wrote, because just how they've written it demonstrates they didn't understand the numbers they're looking at. I had a small stroke trying to read it. It was really bad. <laughs> but the, the real point would be is that let's take the information as presented as correctly stated and understood. They didn't report what you asked them to report, what most people would want to know. Then how deadly is this? Because yeah. that's the that's entire reason right. to do a random sample like this is to find out what the denominator right. is. You have how many people died over the top of how many people actually got the virus, right. not just how many people you happened to test because they ended up in the hospital. And so we now know you said, gee, you did the number and came up with 0.8. Well, in fact, if, the, if you take the real stats we just threw out – and the number really was 16% of Maricopa County oh, okay. has been infected. Yeah. And then you adjust it for the demographic in Maricopa County. Remember, we know that people under age 20, it's about a quarter of flu virility or deadliness. But if you're 65 and over, it's much more deadly. If you're 85 and over, it's Even more deadly more so, still. Right. So in the U.S., if you're 65 and over, 65 and over, the mortality counts for almost 80 percent, 79 plus percent of all deaths are 65 and over. 
So we know that for everybody below that, it's about 20%. Now it falls as you go 10, 10 years in a, in a throw. So people under 20 have a very small risk. And what we're now seeing in some studies is that, in fact, one of the safest places you could be is in school. Right. Because it appears that children are not passing the virus, contrary to our glass and glass study that the Europeans and we followed and shut down our schools, that in fact kids are not passing the virus, including to the personnel who are working at the school. Right. So that's one lesson from this. But let's take the Maricopa. Spread out of schools is coming from adults who come to school and spread it to each other. That's correct. And so now what you've got is this study, if you take the data that we actually have, instead of having 470,000 Maricopa County residents actually infected with SARS-CoV-2, you have 704,000. Now if you weight it for the demographic, if you're under age 65, the number we calculate for the likely mortality is 0.18%. Welcome to the H1N1 flu of 2009. Exactly. That is to say that if you're under age 65 in Maricopa County, and that was only in September, we're using the mortality from today. We now know that the likelihood of the spread is probably higher than that 10 or 11% that their base study was, which would mean the the actual likely spread is significantly higher than I've just given you at 16%. But we've now used their own numbers and said, okay, then what you should have reported is that if you're under 65, the mortality rate is 0.18. It is Barack Obama, the luckiest man on the planet, H1N1 flu series in 2009. Why do I say that? Because we also learned through this that the reason H1N1 in 2008-9 was infecting younger people and not old people is because the old people had gotten some protection from the 1957 flu, that there were similarities between the 1957 flu and H1N1, which now is the predominant flu in this country. And the reason it infected and and was more uh, uh, deadly for younger people is because the older people had some uh, some protection already. All right, hold that thought because there's a few other things I want to ask you. One, <clears throat> what about the new and renewed hysteria? One about something Joe Biden said yesterday. All of this is going to lead us into oh, a coughing. discussion of politics, huh? Well, yeah, he was coughing. Yes, yes, all about that and masks. I'm Seth Liebson. Hugh Hallman and Lewis Hallman are my guests. As per usual, Wynton Marcellus will take us out. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. So we have Hugh and Lewis Hallman here, our uh, in-studio resident uh, experts on COVID and other things. We'll get to some other things in a few moments, politics, because it leads there. But something I wanted to run by you both was something Joe Biden said yesterday. There's all this new talk about new mask mandates to the degree that a president, if he is the president, could even mandate them. But all this talk about masks. So he gives a 10-minute press conference yesterday without a mask. Fine. But he's holding one, and it's presumably the one he uses. I think it is. And he's waving it around. He's putting it on the podium. He's coughing into his hand wrongly, not the way we're supposed to cough, touching it, picking it up, touching, waving it around. So this guy who clearly doesn't even know how to handle a mask has the, um, has the uh, uh, temerity to talk about mandates. And then he said something really interesting. He said, if everyone would just wear a mask, we could save 100,000 lives by January 21st. And I, my jaw hit the floor 
my jaw just hit the floor. Whenever Donald Trump said a fact or number, it was uh, fact-checked to a fairly well by every media outlet in the country. No one has fact-checked this. That can't possibly be true. I, I totally agree. I find it extraordinarily unlikely. And let me, let me sort of lay out my reasoning on this here. So since the start of the pandemic, it, since it really ramped up in March, the U.S. has been seeing about an average of maybe 900 or so deaths per day, which is admittedly, you know, a, a, a tragedy and, and, and something that we should all, all be very sorry about. But here's the issue. It's only uh, about 65 days until January 21st. And so this rate that we've achieved, that 900 per day, has been achieved with about an 80 to a 90 percent mask compliance rate. And so, and, and that's not quite true because in the early days you didn't have masks. That's true. People that's a complying. very good point. More masking now than that's before, true. right? Yeah. So right. the trend but, has been toward masking, right? But but with with this accelerating trend toward masking, we're seeing this 900 per cases per day. Well, if we look at the 65 days between now and then, we're talking about what a likely death of uh, a further 60,000 or so people. Um, and so. I'm not sure how That's with in, 80 to 90 percent mask wear. Right, right. right. And so, so I'm I'm unsure how moving us to 100 percent from there saves 100. Maybe 40,000 people will spring from their graves. I don't but, know how you get there. It so just makes no sense to me. I think that he is relying on a study out of Washington uh, that was done at the university there that I think has been demonstrated already. Oh, this been, is the IMHE. That's correct. Okay. That was done very thinly. And so what you had was their assumptions were that we were only at a 50 percent mask wearing rate. So we could double mask wearing rates and that would ultimately by mandate get us huge savings of lives. But the data was not only wrongly it was wrong when it was published, wrong when it was published. Yeah. And and uh, I think the, the Wall Street Journal probably pointed out best that apparently since they cited in their footnotes that, in fact, their data was out of date, that it's OK to rely on something that was four or five months old to begin with. So their data was bad. The data was out of date. And the actual current and has been for about the last 60 days uh, mask uh, application sort of probabilities are it's between 80 and 90 percent of people are wearing masks when they should. Right. That is when they're outdoors near people as opposed to out running on the banks of a canal jogging or sitting at home by themselves. And so the those kinds of numbers start poking big holes in this. In fact, arguably, the implication is the opposite. And that is to say, if we're at an 80 or 90 percent uh, mask wearing rate now and we're still seeing the spread we're sp- seeing then masks aren't supplying the prophylactic purpose that the folks who make those claims believe. And more interesting, the states that are locking back down, we have new data about, for example, the state of New York. It appears that from the serology test done at Stanford recently, that in fact, the city of New York, New York City, has about a 33 percent uh, infection rate right. of their residents. In the population. Which, in the is, population. which is approaching what an article in The Lancet says is required for herd immunity, which is about 30 or thirty to 40 percent uh, purportedly. And so now you've got New York locking down again out of terror and fear, fear and surprise. And uh, no, oh, anyway, Ruth we'll go back. Ruth, Ruth <laughs> Ruth 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 there we are. Uh, so nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition from the governor of New York. Uh, and that's what we're really facing. But they're making this. it sound like the Spanish flu. That that's is correct. what they're doing. That's correct. Except that the irony being, wait a minute, I thought New York was the bastion of how to do it right. Right. And now the they're going to wrote a book on how to do it. They're, they're terrorized yet again yeah. because they're seeing flare ups. But didn't they do it right? 
Well, Philadelphia, too, is now engaging in a new set of harsh, I think, harsh lockdowns, including indoor gatherings. They have one of the most serious mask mandates. So this gets me to my question. Well, in fact, the mayor, uh, mayor of the city of Phoenix has now called on the governor to impose a statewide I mandate. I saw that, yeah. which makes no sense. Her city already, well, the county already has it. Not only that, we have Joe Biden's advisors in the, in the transition team talking about the possibility of national lockdowns right. once he's in office. Right. And that, to me, is the true terror. So is this a crude thing for me to say there was a, a – I saw it nowhere else, but I did the, verif- the validation of it. And it's true. The Federalist had a website – of states and countries mapping case increases at the point at which a mask mandate was ordered, and there's 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 no um, there's no consonants to any of it. You have some states and countries that have mask mandates, and you saw a flat line. You had some went down a little bit. You had some that spiked up. Right. Why would we be here where we are today with this huge increase of cases if masks worked? And that is, is that a crude question? No, it's not. No, it's not, exactly not, not at all. I, I think what a lot of this lies into is the fact that people really are not built or wired to do nothing, even if nothing is the best option when there is an emergent problem. We need to at least appear to ourselves to be taking proactive action and be busy. And so that an ineffective That's cure could exist and still be embraced wholeheartedly is in fact utterly unsurprising to me that's really smart but one thing that i think he takes after his mother but one thing that i i've got to think is one of the most harmful things you could do is wear a mask that you're waving around and touching and putting on podiums and coughing into your hand and grabbing several times that's got to be one of the least effective in fact i would think that would be a if not toxic somewhat poisonous use of a mask. Well, in fact, I think you're calling it out correctly that you've got the governor of uh, of California imposing rules on other people mm-hmm. and not living by them. And you've got a now uh, president-elect, uh, arguably, that uh, wants to impose mask mandates and, and still has not yet come to grasp with what that actually means. Doesn't even understand how to use it. That's right. Properly. We've all been told, wash your hands. I'm sorry. What were we all doing right. before? You go to the bathroom and you weren't washing. Okay, let's not even talk about that. But in this instance, you cough into your elbow. Here's the guy on national, international television behaving in ways that he's not modeling exactly the behavior we've all been uh, had beaten into our heads. A listener just sent me, I'll, I'll read it, a JAMA study, Journal of the American Medical Association. Um, and uh, he says half the nurses wore surgical masks, half the nurses wore N95 and 95 masks during a busy influenza season. At the end of the study, exactly the same percentage in both groups contracted influenza. We'll go out with Peter Gunn and Bud Brisbaugh. We'll come back with politics. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. If you're thinking about selling your house or in the midst of selling it and it's not going well, do call my friend James Wexler of JMG Real Estate. I have a lot of people who have used him, and they think as highly of him as I do. He guarantees to sell your home at market value, or he will pay you the difference. He can also make you an upfront guaranteed offer within 24 hours of reaching out to him, if that's of more Convenience. Give James Wexler a call at 480-386-0711 or visit him online at jameswexler.com. That's James Wexler, W-E-X-L-E-R dot com. Lewis, talk to me about the political implication. Or should we take this call first and save the political part first? Do you want to? 
Take what call. do you think? Let's we'll do the call. All right, let's talk to Jeff in Phoenix, and then we'll talk about the political implications. Hi, Jeff. You're on with the Hallmans. Hey, how are you guys doing? Good. So we're, I'm sitting here talking to my wife, and we're having a discussion about this whole thing of corona, coronavirus and everything. We've had my mother-in-law had it. Uh, my sister-in-law has the antibodies, all these things. Uh, both of them survived. My mother-in-law has Alzheimer's really bad in a home. She has COPD, all these things. All she got was the sniffles. Uh, four people in the home got it, and the person that got the sickest was the caretaker, and she was 400 pounds. But anyway, I'm just wondering, uh, here are a lot of people that seem to say, I've got it, or this or that, and they almost go, I mean, just we were just talking about this person before, or there was someone talking about it before. They almost go into, like, I've got it, and now the end of the world is coming you know it's 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 an apocalypse it's an important point it's an important point the fear over it and if you get it you're gonna die well you're not right most but that's the the the, go ahead the fear of the republic so how come i've researched all this and i know i'm a 57 year old man i'm a big guy i've played football all my life i was an offensive lineman i'm a big guy i know all this stuff and I've been out here ever since the very beginning. I've worked. I've never stopped a day working. I'm a ex- self-employed exterminator. But I know a lot of it. I, if I catch the flu or I catch pneumonia, it's not. I don't know how I'm going to get it or where I'm going to get it. And this, I feel like this is the same way. But I don't understand how these people don't research this stuff for themselves. What is the problem? With Something in our culture changed. Yeah, Lewis is going to answer this. Something in our culture changed. And I, what I've been saying is something very odd has gone from let's roll to let's roll up in a ball and hide under the bed. But you go ahead, Lewis. So it, 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 I think it really comes down to what constitutes research for most people, because what most people will do if they have a question is they'll just Google related terms and look at the first few things that come up. And the problem is, is that Google has been systemically reweighting its algorithm, its search features, to favor what it chooses to describe as trusted sources. So then you'll get things, for instance, like WAPO, who is now, you know, a big proponent of a national lockdown. WAPO, for those of you who don't remember, is the Washington Post. Now, why would the Washington Post... Post Lewis be a big proponent of lockdowns. Well, it's based. It's owned by Jeff Bezos, and basically his version of Pravda. So it might have something to do with the record profits received by Amazon this year, because all of its brick and mortar competition has been forced to shutter. I don't know. That could just be a spitball. Imagine that. But there is so a winner who wins by having everybody shuttered into their home. Precisely. That's what that's what's so frustrating about all of this is that, you know, we've spent three point six trillion dollars in, in dealing with this, plus more quantitative easing. And another nine hundred million. Exactly. And billion. And they're talking yeah, about yeah, another sorry, trillion. Sorry. And of that, the twelve hundred dollar stimulus checks that average people received only amounted to about seven and a half percent of that expenditure. All of the rest of it went to states, agencies, and businesses, picking winners and losers by those in power. That's the big issue. Now, as for why it's so hard for people to research it, it's again, it's because their vision and their ability to research it, unless they either have a good statistical grasp like I do and can sort of identify the nonsense like we were reading earlier. Or you have a son who has a good statistical grasp like <laughs> I do. Yeah. You know, those, those are both helpful, but not everyone has access to those resources. And, and so it's, it's really tricky to assess what's true and what's not. Right. That's why we do this. But that is a weird thing, how we have turned kid against kid, family against family, fear. one because they're more fearful than the other, one that has a view that um, – how did we put it the other day on our run, Hugh? Um, 
the avoidance of death is not the same thing as living life. You put it that way, and I thought it was brilliant. It's exactly right. To and it's avoid not even death the avoidance by... of death when you have an over 99.9% success or chance of survival rate. It's better than skin cancer. I mean, we're talking. That's exactly right. What we've done to ourselves here is madness, absolute madness. We'll be right back. Back to the Seth Liebson show. I only take one product, and that is Balance of Nature. I love it. It's great. I've been on it for just over a year, and it has done wonders for me. It can do wonders for you. It's full, chock full of good stuff, healthy, potent stuff, from blueberries and oranges to broccoli and garlic and cayenne pepper. Ten servings of 31 different fruits and vegetables from one daily dose, and they have a great deal going. Free shipping, which I love. Everyone says... XXX and shipping. No shipping. And 35% off any new preferred order of their fruits and veggies. Give them a call at 800-2468-751 or go to balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Okay, the theme of this hour is... Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Surprise, surprise, and fear. Fear and surprise. Fear and surprise. Fear and surprise. surprise. So that's enough. (laughs) Fear and surprise. (laughs) Lewis, go with it and the political implications. There's been a question that was actually asked of me on this show last week that has sort of been torturing me the entire time, and it's why do so few people my age vote Republican? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I've spent almost all week kind of thinking about this. And to me, it really comes down to what's being offered by both sides, right? Like the the Democratic narrative is effectively, here's a bunch of free stuff for at least lower income people my age. And the Republican Party narrative has been, uh, uh, we're going to crony up and we're going to lower taxes and we're going to do things that disproportionately benefit already established uh, 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 wealthy business owners. And that's fair enough, right? Like that that's fine. I'm not actually looking for a handout here. Uh, uh, and so the issue that I have, though, is that let's kind of see if I, I can express where we are from my generation's perspective. So about 40 years ago, the federal government started subsidizing education, right? This has then caused tuition rates, for instance, at universities to increase by 9% annualized per year, it's doubling- the Bennett hypothesis. The more you give, the more the tuition goes up. Precisely. So this also has created a cartel, which is perfect access to price discrimination, right? You have to literally send in your you know, income tax forms so that they can then approve exactly how much debt you can carry on. And, and so, how much money they'll give you? Precisely, and as a you know, one of the one of the side effects of this is the creation of an entire new industry that neither of you two have heard of before today. And shocked me when you started showing called, me the stats. It's called the sugar baby industry. And so, what this is is that that the elder generations have effectively prostituted their children in order to get them to pay for school. Now, according to the top site that is sort of the brokerage of these things. 8.4 million uh, uh, girls and about 3.2 million uh, uh, young men have, are, are trying to get these sorts of arrangements where they will you know, enter relations with older people in order that their tuition and living expenses can be paid. I had no clue. Yeah, this did is you, endemic. And no, I, it's I, I actually literally it. millions of people are doing this right now. So not only that, 
They then colluded with the National Academy of Sciences to bring in more uh, uh, foreign graduate students and price down American uh, skilled labor. They have frozen interest rates at zero. Well, part of the quantitative easing, a trillion dollars was spent to subsidize interest rates to zero, which helps whom? What does that mean? It helps everyone who already owns any kind of asset because low interest rates increase the value of those assets, which means then that my generation has an inordinately hard time getting on the property ladder. People didn't follow that one. What that means is, so if I own a house, the sales price can be higher in my sale of it because the person buying it can borrow money so cheaply that they can pay a higher price. Pay a higher price. So real estate pricing has gone up, not down in this pandemic, so, because money is so cheap. I can't afford any assets, and if I save money or try to save money, I actually make less than inflation. So I'm actually losing value if I try to do the responsible thing and save up, unless I want to throw it into the Wall Street roulette machine. Mm-hmm. Now, so he- here are all of these issues. Like, what, what is the cost of these things, right? Instability, limited family formation, the erosion of the American middle class. And so what I am desperate to hear from Republicans is a vision of what my American dream can be. I don't want you to give me a house, but I would like the opportunity to save money and be able to get one one day. The Democrats are talking today, Lewis, about erasing up to $50,000, and I'm sure the numbers will go and up. I and I think that that's, that's appalling, yeah. Seth, because what it does is it penalizes everyone who has done the responsible thing and saved up beforehand to pay these exorbitant subsidized loans and to pay these exorbitant subsidized costs. So what I would like to know is for those of us who have already done the right thing, saved our money, paid back our loans, where's my money? Do you think that these, and this is a question for both of you, these um, enormously large college endowments should be used or should in any sense be tapped to help so cover those costs. If I were God, if, I would, if these colleges believed in what they were saying, I would think they would pony up. If I were God, I would shut down this this supply of money that the federal government is using. Get rid of that whole machine. Let prices free fall. Let these colleges, you know, really suffer the consequences of this, all of the bloat that they've been, you know, taking on because they can and the cronyism that they, that they want to... $450,000 right. salary let them for use, an assistant diversity let, director. Let them right. use these wonderful endowments that they seem to have to try and bail themselves out because we're not going to do it for them. We're talking, we're talking billions and billions. We're talking tens and tens of billions of dollars. Correct. And what that is, is it's a federal subsidy with the argument that we're trying to provide students... Uh, tuition money so they can go to school. So we're going to subsidize the payment. But all that has done is increase the pricing because then universities can charge more because now the money flow is coming from the federal government. So it's free money as far as anybody else is concerned. And we pretend that that isn't impacting the pricing. It's doing exactly that. And Lewis described it. It is a perfect means by which you you discriminatorily price your product. So somebody who can afford the now full tuition at Arizona State University of $26,000 a year, $300 a semester when I went uh, oh so long ago, um, now that is being paid for everybody below that highest price point by federal money and state money and other sources. So all that money's washing in, but it assures that the price goes up, not here's, down. Here's the real kicker, though. Right, I came from a stable, well-off home. I may not, I'm not really an athlete, but I'm at least a pretty sharp guy. Right? If this is how frustrated and abandoned by the system that I feel, right. can you imagine what the median person my age thinks? 
That's the kicker. Let me come back with a concluding thought from you on that when we do come back. I'm Seth Leapson. That was brilliant, Lewis. Thank you. We'll be right back. Well, I hate to slow a roll, so, Lewis, continue. So we were talking about why people my age aren't joining the Republican Party. And I think it also really comes down to this comment. And it's uh, aligned by Michael Malice that conservatism has become progressivism driving the speed limit. What the Republican Party seems to stand (laughs) for now is nothing more than we're only going to spend 80 percent of what the Democrats want to spend, irrespective of the issue. You can see this in the National Review's motto, standing athwart history, yelling stop. Is that a principled position? Is that some kind of plan? Is that supposed to inspire me? Like what, what is that about really? The problem is that Republicans need to be able to sell me an American dream. The D's have a dream. It's free stuff. I don't like that dream, but the R's aren't giving us anything to work with. I want to plan on how saving can become worthwhile. I would like to plan to lower the cost of college by kicking the federal government out of the tuition business. And I want a plan that sees more Americans able to own homes without Wall Street's demanding bailouts for the privilege. I want a party that views the American people as too big to fail, not our bankers. And what I really want is opportunity, not handouts. That is what we need to see. If we can do that then maybe some young people will start paying attention. But right now, all we're being offered is hollow shells of policy and nonsense. You know, this is this does take us back to 64, Hugh, because that's what the title of Schlafly's book was. We want a choice, not an echo, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. what Lewis is talking about. And uh, so now is the time. Uh, we've chatted quietly. Who is going to be the Barry Goldwater of our Republican Party now. If you make me do it, I'm going to be livid. (laughs) I'm I'm perhaps too old, but then when I look at how old Barry Goldwater was when he gave that speech, um, maybe we're not too old, eh, Seth? Until tomorrow, I'm Seth Liebson. God bless you. Class dismissed.